Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and just tell them Merry Christmas. I'm happy to see you. Listen, grab your Bibles if you don't mind standing with me for a brief second longer. I thank you. Uh, I thank you. Go with me to Matthew chapter 2. And I thank you. I can't tell you enough. I thank you because there's many people that failed to come to church today simply because they have taken uh, this sacred day that we have set aside to give God the glory and to give him the honor. And they have made it about themselves. Uh, not those who are traveling to and fro uh, to visit their loved ones, but the ones that said, you know what, today is just my day to stay in and open up gifts. It's my day uh, to focus on me and my family. There's nothing wrong with that, but what about coming together for the reason, for the season? I, I know within the text, as we talk about it today, there were some wise men uh, that traveled a distance on what we now represent as Christmas. They didn't call it Christmas back then. It wasn't even Christmas Day. It wasn't the day of his birth. But they cared about our Savior so much that they didn't care how far they had to go. They wanted to be in his presence. They wanted to be amongst his people. And so for you all who have made this sacrifice to decide today, I'm going to share this day not only with God, but also with my pastor and with other members of the light. I say thank you. Uh, for those who are visiting with us for the very first time, I love you. And I really say thank you because it means a lot for you to say, you know what, on this day, I'm going to visit this church. And so again, I say thank you. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 9. While you're there, if you don't mind standing with me as we stand in reverence of God's word, if you could just repeat after me, Father God, I'm here today seeking a word from you. So open my ears that I can hear. Touch my heart so that I will feel. And renew in me a right mind so that I will do. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. When you got to say, I got it. Let's get it. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. And it simply says, after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. For a moment today, as we continue into this series entitled The Gift Exchange, I want to simply title today's message, The Gift of Sacrifice. The gift of sacrifice. You may be seated. There's a few things that I want to make sure uh, as we celebrate the Christmas holiday that we have an understanding of. Uh, I dare not take for granted that uh, just because you're a believer, just because you're in the house of the Lord, that you understand everything that happened on this occasion. Uh, I want to make sure that we have a full understanding of what this day is or what this day is supposed to represent. Uh, this day that we call Christmas is a day that has been set aside to give God the glory and honor and to reverence the birth of Jesus Christ. A lot of people want to run around and call this day a pagan holiday, but the truth of the matter is in order for it to be a pagan holiday, it has to be reverencing a pagan God. And the fact of the matter is the only pagan God that you can reverence on this holiday is yourself. 
uh, this day, as long as you have Christ and Christmas and you put Christ first, then this couldn't be considered a pagan holiday. This is the day that we have set aside to give God the glory and the honor for the birth of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of Christians around this great nation that won't celebrate Christmas because they call it a pagan holiday. I have a problem with these people because they don't have a problem taking that paycheck on their job for this holiday. Uh, they don't have a problem getting those extra hours that they didn't work for. They don't have a problem cashing that, that bonus check uh, for this pagan holiday. And so I believe we're dealing with people that want to pick and choose what is right and what is wrong. At the end of the day, I determine what this day is. This day is a day that I set aside to give God the glory for the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, who was born so that I can have life and not just life, but that I can have it more abundantly. I'm thankful for this day. I'm thankful for this day. I celebrate this day. Uh, I think for, for years to come, my family will worship on Christmas Day because it is a special day that we know that everyone across this great nation has an opportunity to understand that Jesus Christ was, in fact, born. He was, in fact, born, which means that he did come, and therefore, he also, we know that if he came and he was born, then there's truth that he died. When we look at this text, there's a lot of things that sometimes we overlook. Uh, we have these Christmas plays where Jesus is this cute little baby in a manger. Uh, and, and that's right. That's great. It's wonderful. Jesus Christ was born in a manger. Uh, he was in a, in a born. Why? Because there was no room in the end. The text teaches us that. Amen? But there's something if you were really paying attention in, in Matthew chapter 2. Beginning at verse 9 through 11, the wise men, they leave the king. The wise men, they leave the king. And after they leave the king, the text actually says that they follow this star, the Easter star, the eastern star. They follow this star uh, in the east, uh, which right, resides right over the place where Jesus was. And I love that when I look at this text, they say in verse 11, after coming into the house, they saw the child. After coming into the house, they saw a child. I'm going to get to my message today, but I want to get rid of the myths associated with Christmas. After they came, after they saw the star, they came into the house where the child was. Not the baby was, but the child was. Pastor, why are you playing with our head this morning? I want to make sure that you think about something. You have to understand, by the time the kings came, to the, 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 the magi made it to him to give him his gifts, Jesus wasn't just a baby anymore. We know this not only by the representation of what takes place in this text, but we also know this by King Herod. When he issued the decree after the Magi did not return, he issued a decree, what, to kill every kid two years and under. Why? Because time had passed, and he wanted to make sure that he got Jesus because Jesus was the Messiah, and he didn't want him to change things. He didn't want to have to rule. But, Pastor, that's not enough to say that Jesus wasn't a baby when the Magi would arrive. Yes, it is. Why? Because we know the Magi entered a what? House. Jesus was born in a what? Manger. That means time had, had passed. Now, Joseph and Mary, they have a roof over their head. They have, they're providing for themselves. They're doing their thing. And, and now that time has passed, they have came. And not only that, but they say Jesus is not just a baby anymore. He's a child. He's a child. He has arrived on the scene, and Jesus is a child. And, and the first thing that they get, what they do when they get there, is they fall down and worship him. Why is this important? They had been searching for Jesus for quite some time. 
And in their quest to find what was holy, in their quest to find what was righteous, in their quest to find everything that they needed, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, they never gave up no matter how much time it took. They fought on until they got to him. And when they got to him, they yet worship him. Pastor, what, what are you trying to say? Some of us, uh, we have given up on God. We, we've walked through life and years have seemed to pass. Time has seemed to go away. And it seems like with every year that passes, we get a, less, a little bit less dependent on who God is. We begin to rely a little bit less on God. We begin to, to worship everything except God. Well, I, I thank God for the Magi because they show me, if nothing else, I have to be faithful through the process. No matter what happens, because of who God is, God is worth the wait. He's worth the struggle. He's worth the stress. He's worth the battles and everything that I'm going, with, going through in the world. Why? Because he has made the ultimate journey to leave who he is as God and present himself as flesh through his son, Jesus Christ, so that I can have everlasting life. I couldn't help but to wonder myself, how long has God waited on me? How long has God sacrificed for me? So that I can have eternal life. So that I can have what he promised. With the, the same gift that he given me from the very first beginning. So that I can have what was already rightfully mine. See, when we began this series a week ago, I mean four weeks ago, um, we led off with a message entitled The Gift of Life. Because this series is titled The Gift Exchange. We, we know that if something was given to us, we naturally have a desire to give something back. And we open this series and we start talking about the gift of life and we've seen how God himself gave us life in Genesis and then turned around and what? Gave us life again in Matthew. He gave us a relationship by creating us and then he gave us redemption through his sacrifice, his son, Jesus Christ. The ultimate gift, we realize that we don't deserve any other gift. He's given us life itself. And the fact that God has seen fit not to wipe the slate king, not to start all over, not to get rid of us like he got rid of dinosaurs, he said, you know what, I'm going to give you another chance. And for some of us, another chance. And for all of us, another chance. He's given us chance after chance after chance. He's given us life. But life is the one thing that we forever take for granted. We take it for granted because we learned in week two that some of us don't want to give God our goal. What does that mean? We don't want to give him what's most valuable to us, not just our money. We don't want to give him our families. We don't want to give him our jobs. We don't want to give him our finances. We don't want to give him our relationships. We don't want to give God what's most valuable to us because he is what? King of kings, lords of lords. He has our rule and reign. The, when the moment we realize that if we can give God everything, then he can control everything, we will put ourselves in a better situation. But many of us remain in the same situation because instead of freely giving unto God, we would rather ball up our fists and hold it to ourselves. God is saying, show me what it is in your hand. And he has something greater for you. He has something that he can fix. But the fact is, he doesn't want to show it to you. He wants to keep it to him. To you want to keep it to yourself. And as a result of you wanting to keep it to yourself, God can't work on it. Oh, God said, if you just trust me to open your hands, in your marriage, if you trust me to open your hands on your job, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you care about the most, trust me to show it to me. And watch what it is 
I can do with it. Watch what it is I can change. Watch what it is I can add to. Watch what it is I can heal if you would just give it to me. And then we learned in week three that not only do we have to be willing to give God everything that's of most importance to us, but we have to also understand that through accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we have to live a life that is holy. We have to live a life that is honorable in God's sight. And we learned that, you know what, holy is not an easy word to talk about. Nobody wants to talk about the purification. Nobody wants to talk about remaining clean, doing the right thing. Why? Because in order to survive in this world, you got to fit in. The great thing about that text is it told us that we wasn't designed to fit in. The Bible told us that greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. We don't suppose to try to find happiness and joy and pleasure in worldly things. See, worldly things don't define Christians. Christians define worldly things. When we can get into our position and our place and remain committed and connected to God in the way that we're supposed to, then God is willing to allow us to give things, give us things in our lives that we can utilize. Why? Because he knows that they're nothing but tools. He can release money in a, in a believer's hand, a strong believer's hand. Why? Because he knows that he'll do the right thing with it. But see, some of us, we ain't all the way right yet. We're not, we not all the way holy yet. So we get a couple of dollars. We, we hit a lottery, and, and we ain't even hit the big lottery. We just hit the $100 scratch off, and we done lost our mind. We ain't going to church this Sunday. <laughs> just off a little $100. We ought to get to a point in our lives where we're so committed and connected to God that it's ridiculous. That people are able to see exactly who we are by the lifestyle that we live. People shouldn't have to ask you, are you a Christian? People should know that you are a Christian. I, I was thinking today, uh, earlier this week, and I actually put a post, and the crazy thing is that I, I took it down because, matter of fact, I put it yesterday because Christmas was the day. I didn't want to ruin anybody's Christmas. But the truth is, I can tell y'all, Christians as Americans, we're spoiled. That, that's just real talk, man. We have too many options. We have an option of what style of worship we want. We have an option of what Bible we want to read from. We have an option of, of how do we dress, where do we want to go, what church style we like, what genre we look. We have too many options. You go to some of these third world countries where they're having to have church underground, not the fake underground, literally underground, hiding from people just to worship the same God that we worship and their joy, their praise, their sacrifice. Everything is so much bigger and better. Why? Because they don't have as many options. Sometimes options breed confusion, breeds conflict within our lives. You know, some of y'all was late today to church. Not all of y'all. I'm not pointing at all of y'all but not knowing what you wanted to wear. It, it was just, it, I had too many options. But if you only had one shirt and one pair of pants, you would have been on time. This is the problem with options sometimes in our life. Sometimes options keep us from living the way that we're supposed to. Because you know what? When something isn't acceptable in God's eyes and someone brings it to your eyes, Instead of facing it, what do we do? We run and find another option. I, I don't like this church. Pastor all in my business. Every Sunday, it feel like he's preaching about me. I'm going to go to another church where they don't talk about my issues. I'm going to go to another church where, where they just talk about how rich I'm going to get. 
I don't, I don't want to hear about having to go to hell. I, I, if, if I go, it's there, but I, I just want to talk about how can I be happy here? We have all of these options. I envy the believers that don't have the options. I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm cut out for what they go through, but the relationship that they have to have because of the fact that they don't have the options. The pureness of their worship, the pureness of their faithfulness, their commitmentness, com- committedness to God is amazing. I can't help but to think these magi, the reason that they waited so long and traveled so long was, guess what? Because they didn't have an option. There was not another Messiah. There was only one. So I have to do what I have to do to get to the one true Messiah. There is no other one. There is no other representation of who God is. Many of us are walking around as believers, and the thing is that we see God more so as the pastor than who God really is. Many of us come to church, and the only reason we know God is because of who's standing behind the podium telling us about who God is. We talk to the pastor about our problems. We get the pastor to meet with us and conference us. We pray with the pastor. But how many times have all of us said, you know what, I'm going to take this to God before I take this to somebody else? Your relationship with God should be bigger and better than mine. The truth be told, you should be so connected to God that if I ain't right, you know it before I know it. God should speak into your spirit to be able to have the power to pull my coattail, not just me pulling your coattail. This magi, they were sold out for Jesus. Here it was, they left King Herod. King Herod had the ability to kill them, had the ability to destroy their families, do whatever, and they disobeyed a direct order because he had given them instructions, when you find him, come back and tell me. But the thing about it is they weren't worried about the king of the world. They were worried about the king of all worlds because they said just because they had been warned previously by our God that they didn't return back that way. They went a whole nother direction. Are you willing to put aside the things of the world to give God the honor and respect that he deserves? Are you willing to put aside the things that you want to give, God, to give God the ability and the desire and the opportunity to give you the things that you truly need? Are you willing to set aside all of other foolishness just to be in the presence of God and experience what God has for you? The problem with many of us, the reason why we won't do this is because it requires sacrifice. And that's what brings us to our text today when we look at the third gift that was given to Jesus. They gave him gold for his royalty. They gave him frankincense for his purity. And they gave him myrrh for his sacrifice. Can you imagine how it feels to know that you're going to be born just to die? That the only reason that you're here is to help people that don't even want to help themselves. Jesus came into this world. When we think about this day, We should think about it as a sacrifice. And if you're a parent, you understand, because some of our bank accounts wasn't right this week or the last couple of weeks, but yet it's still, we made the sacrifice. 
We made the sacrifice to get our kids clothes. We made the sacrifice to get them the games, toys, and everything. Now, catch this. There's nothing like an ungrateful child. I'm going to tell you. It'll break my back and hurt my soul. There's nothing like an ungrateful child that doesn't appreciate the sacrifice and everything that someone has put into it just so they can have it. You know what? I can understand you being disrespectful and ungrateful all year long because you get likes every day. You, 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 I don't want to live in the darkness, so I can understand you, you missing out on that. But on Christmas, when there's a tree in my living room, gifts spread it all out on my floor that I've taken time to wrap, and then you tell me that you're not grateful? I have a problem with that. Remember the story of a young lady that on Christmas Day, she woke up, she woke up, and she was very excited about Christmas. She had all of these things that she had wrote out a list that she wanted, all of these things that she had wrote out that she wanted. And her parents were going through a financial struggle. And she woke up this morning only to find a bike up under the tree. Young lady didn't have a bike, never had a bike, never wanted a bike. But all she had was the bike because the local church were giving away bikes that year. She had this beautiful bike under the tree. And the minute that she got downstairs and she looked at the bike, she looked at her parents and said, I didn't ask for a bike. Can you imagine the pain that the parents felt that moment when that child made the statement that I didn't ask for something, that I went out of the way to get you? Number one, I didn't have money to get you what you needed. But number two, you don't know the line that I had to stand in of other people that didn't have enough. And then everything I had to go through, you don't know the fact that I had to ask somebody to trade me a pink for a purple because your favorite color was pink. You don't know the thought that I put into my sacrifice for you, for you to open up your mouth and say, I didn't ask for this, or this isn't what I wanted. Many of us in our everyday life, the way we live, the fact that we won't commit to giving God our all, the fact that we won't commit to being who God wants us to be, we literally look God in the face and say, I didn't ask for you to give Jesus to me. I didn't ask for that sacrifice. That, that's not what I wanted. I didn't ask for redemption. Can you imagine the pain that our, our Father, who had only created us just to love us, who had only created us just to have a relationship with us, continually have his children look him in the face and be disrespectful. Continually have his children look him in the face and say, you know what, I don't need you. Sacrifice breeds bitterness. It's natural. Sacrifice breeds bitterness. Sacrificing doesn't feel good. Anytime that you're going to go through a sacrifice, it requires you to be in a situation where it's uncomfortable, where it's not the ideal situation, it's not actually what you were looking for, but yet it's still sacrifice is required. One thing that I love about Jesus when I was looking in the text and I began to look at this because I understand his birth was all about his death. So as we close with this series, I couldn't help but to want to look at the overall picture of the 33 years that Jesus Christ has given us. The 33 years that he had given us of his life. 
the 33 years that he said, you know what, I'm going to give up my seat in heaven. I'm not going to have to worry about being around fools. I'm going to give up my throne. I'm not going to be in the presence of my father. I'm going to give up everything to walk and redeem man. I wanted to look at the 33 years of his life because I wanted, to, I wanted us to understand the sacrifice that was associated with it because I want us to see Christmas differently. I want us to understand why we gather together as family. It's not just about the food. It's not just about the gifts. But it's the fact that someone sacrificed so that we could be family. Someone sacrificed so that we could have life. And I couldn't help but to think about this gift, myrrh. Myrrh, like frankincense, comes from a tree. The Magi gave God gold, frankincense, and the last was myrrh. But myrrh is this bittersweet substance. See, myrrh is a sap that comes from a tree that in the old text they used to use for gum. They would turn this myrrh into gum. They would cut the bark of a tree, take this myrrh to syrup, and they would turn it in, into gum. But it would be a very bitter gum. It would be a bitter gum. And I don't know if you've ever had something bitter. It just don't taste right. And so you could use myrrh for this chewing gum that would be bitter. But on the flip side, myrrh had a second purpose. It was bitter in one aspect, but it was in one aspect, but it was sweet in another. Because myrrh was also a sweet fragrance. It was used for a perfume. Matter of fact, it was used for embalming fluid. It was used for embalming fluid. And so a lot of theologians use the text and, and want to make sure that people understand that they gave myrrh because they knew that even though you're born and young now, one day you will die. So they gave them this sweet aroma, this myrrh, that has this great value. It has great value because of every process that it goes through. And so we think about myrrh as a bittersweet situation. I want you to think about sacrifice as a bittersweet situation. The problem with sacrifice is there are more bitter times than there are sweet times. But I can promise you if you can identify and get through the bitter moments of life, then you will enjoy the sweeter moments of life. See, when I look at the text, I couldn't help but to understand that, you know what, they gave Jesus myrrh. Because they understood that bitter is the responsibility of sacrifice. Bitter is the responsibility of sacrifice. Well, what do you mean? To whom much is given, much is required. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, came from heaven to be born just to die for us. Bitter is the responsibility of sacrifice. Wouldn't it suck? To have to give up whatever's most comfortable to you just so somebody else could have better? Wouldn't it suck to be all perfect, never have to worry about a scar, never have to worry about anything, but you have to now make yourself flesh? The very thing that is sinning against you, the very thing that is disrespecting you, you now have to make yourself it. That is a bitter responsibility an unwanted responsibility. But do you know why Jesus had that responsibility? Because there was no other that can atone for the sin of man. God had given us previous opportunities through sacrificing uh, our, our first fruit, not our first fruit, but sacrificing 
our, our livestock and different things on sacrificial offerings. The problem with it is we started off right. We were giving God our best. But then just like any man, you try to think of a way you can come up and we start, instead of giving God our best, we start giving him our less. We start thinking to ourselves that, you know what? He's just going to burn it anyway. We're just going to slaughter it and burn it anyway. It don't matter what it looks like. It don't matter that it's missing one leg, that one of the ears is cut off. It don't, it don't matter. I'm not going to give God my best cow. I'm not going to give him my best sheep. It's, it's, no, I can't, I can't allow him to have my best. If it's just an offering, I can give him anything. And so Christ now has to come because man has decided, I don't want to give God my best anymore. I just want to give God my leftovers. I want to give him the things that are, are not important to me so that I could do what I want to do with what's best to me, what's best for me. Some of us in the same room should be convicted right now because we don't want to sacrifice our best and we would rather give God our less because we're worried about ourselves. What if God would have worried about himself that day? What if he would have worried about himself and said, you know what, I don't want to give them another chance. I gave them a chance in the garden. I gave them a chance with uh, Noah. I've given them a chance with Moses. I've given them chance after chance after chance. Why should I give them another chance? But yet it says, he says, you know what, I'm going to give them a chance that even they can't mess up. The only way they can mess it up is if they say, you know what, I just don't want it. That is a bitter responsibility to have on your shoulders. If you think sacrificing is going to be fun, I can tell you now, it's not. It's never going to get easier, no matter how much God blesses you, how much more he gives you. It's never going to get more simpler. It's always going to be a struggle. That's why they call it a sacrifice. Because it, it, it causes you to go into your innermost and give up what you have when in your mind you're saying, you know what, I need this. But the truth is, is if you can get rid of it, then you can put yourself in a position where you rely on God. That should be enough right there to make us want to give God even more. Why? Because if we can give God all that we have, relationship, finances, whatever, give it to him, then it puts us in a position where we are totally dependent on God. Guess what? That's where God wants you to be. That's why it's not working for you, because you're not in a position where you're totally dependent on God. We have to put ourselves in positions where we're totally dependent on God. You look over and over in the text. People were put in stressful situations that they felt like they couldn't handle. They felt like they didn't have the ability to deal with. But at the end of the day, they prayed, they focused, and they depended and relied on God. And what happened? God came through. So when you ask yourself, why is God not coming through, maybe it's the fact that you haven't really started depending on him. Sacrifice is bitter. It not only has a bitter responsibility, but bitter is the rejection because of sacrifice. Bitter is the rejection because of sacrifice. Jesus Christ was born so that we can be redeemed. But if you know your Bible, Jesus was born into the Jews, but guess what? The Jews didn't even want him. The Jews fought against him. 
The Jews are the one that said, no, you're not the Messiah. The Jews are the one that pushed him to be crucified. They're the one that took him to King Pilate. They're the one that wanted him to be put on the cross. Now, he's came to save them. He's been rooted and bred into their families, into their community, and they're saying, you know what? We don't want you. There will be people in your life, maybe even your children, that will, that will reject you because of your sacrifice. Young folks, there are going to be people at school that talk about you because you don't do what they want you to do, because you don't try to fit in like they want you to fit in, because you want to do right when they're trying to do wrong. Living right is a sacrifice. There's nothing easy about doing the right thing, and I don't care if you're a pastor, probably not even a pope himself. There's nothing easy about living right. Every day you have to wake up and make a conscious decision that in spite of everything that I'm going through, I'm still going to do what God wants me to do. No matter how long it takes, whatever happens, because of what he's done for me, I'm still going to do what I'm supposed to do. And guess what? People will reject you because of it. People will talk about you. People will lie on you. People will leave you. All because of the fact that you're trying to do it right. The question is, are you going to be strong enough to deal with the rejection? See, most of us fail in the process of sacrificing because we're not strong enough to deal with the rejection. We're not strong enough to go through the whole process. I, I can't help but to think about Abraham when he had to sacrifice his son Isaac and going up on the hill, and here it is that he has to understand that this is, a, this is a bitter responsibility that God has put on my shoulder to kill my only son, the son that I love the most. But then he goes up there, and the, then he has to deal with all the young men that he brings and goes up there and understand that people are going to reject me. My wife is going to reject me because of the sacrifice that I'm about to make. My friends will reject me, asking me what type of God did I serve that would allow me to kill my son. But he does all of it anyway. Even when he gets up there, his son asks him, hey, we got the wood, we got the fire, but where's the offering? But yet and still, he pushed forward with the sacrifice. Many of us fail to receive our blessings because we give God a partial sacrifice. We accept the responsibility of sacrifice but when we get to the point of that we're going to have to deal with rejection because of our sacrifice, we stop and turn around. See, we'll serve God as long as nobody listening, looking or listening. That's why some of us don't invite people to church with us because we don't want people on our jobs to know that we're true believers. Some of us, we, we, we act like them at work and we think that God is okay with that. I can live one day on Sunday and the holidays, but I can live another day on whatever day of the week that I want to. The catch is that you have to give God all of you at all times or it's worth nothing. Bitter is the rejection. Bitter is the responsibility associated with our sacrifice. The minute that we get it wrapped in our head that, that life is going to be a little bitter, then we can get to a point where life becomes a little better. If we can get to a point that we realize that, you know what, people are not always going to like me. The truth is that some of the people that don't like you are some of the exact people that God's been trying to pull you away from. And so when you actually see who they are, the best thing for you to do is just go ahead and step back. Because those are some of the exact people that God needs to remove from your life just so he can take you to what he's really asking you to have 
in your life. Many of us miss that because of the fact we're so worried about being happy. We're so worried about being accepted. We're so worried about everyone else loving us as a result of our decisions. The only one that you should care about, the only one that you should care about that cares about your decision is God. Before you think about anyone and everyone else, you should think about God. Is God pleased with my decision? I know it's going to hurt people's feelings. I know it's not going to feel good. I know it doesn't seem like it's the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, if it's what God has asked me to do, then guess what? I have to do it. Why? Because it's my responsibility, and I understand that I will be rejected because of it. Jesus goes on to show me through the walk of his life that not only is bitter is his responsibility, not only is bitter is the rejection, but he goes on to show me that bitter is the regret because of sacrifice. See, a lot of people don't talk about the time when our Savior had a moment of weakness. A lot of people don't talk about the time that our Savior had a moment within his life where he had actually regretted the decision that he had made. Many of us don't think about the time when our Savior had to take a moment and tell tell the inner circle disciples to to watch my back because I, I need to go and pray for a moment. Many of us don't think about the fact that when Jesus... Uh, went to pray, he got a little frustrated with the disciples because they, they kept falling asleep. And actually, he told them literally, the flesh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And many of us misread that text because he wasn't talking about the disciples. He was talking about himself. My spirit is willing to do what God wants me to do, but this flesh, this body that I have, don't want to be a part of it. I don't want nails in my hands. I don't want nails in my feet. I don't want to be pierced in the side. I don't want a crown of thorns on my head. This is not what I I want to go through. And Jesus literally says, I'm not adding, I'm not taking away. He says to his father, God, if there be any way that this cup can move from me, if there's any way that this cup can pass, let it be done. Let not my will, but your will. Jesus says in that moment, I regret that I got to go through what I'm going to have to go through. He said, I don't want to go through it the same way. If there's something else that we can do, can we, can we make some other type of atonement? Can I just break a nail? Can I, can I, can I just heal a certain amount of people? Can, can I perform a miraculous miracle before them? Is there anything else that we can do that I don't have to actually experience the pain that I'm going to have to go through? When you sacrifice, there will be some painful moments in your life. You will regret it all the way to the finish line. You will regret it all the way to the finish line. How do we know? Because Jesus regretted it at the finish line. He was hanging on the cross. The Bible says that he says, Father, Father, why have thou forsaken me? And a moment while he was on the cross operating and living in our sin, dying for our sin, God himself wouldn't look upon him because it was our darkness that was covering him. And he says, why have thine forsaken me. Father, we've been together since the beginning of time. Why is it now that you turn your back on me? It's bad enough that I got to go through this, but now I got to go through this and it seems like you're not here. I lift up for a moment that it wasn't that God forsaken him, but because of the sin that Jesus was wrapped in, it appeared that Jesus had forsaken God. He had buried the sin of not only the men that were living in that time, but also the sins that were to come. It was a moment that it got so hard, it got so unbearable, 
that even he didn't want to be there. Just this week, just this week I was at the grocery store, and I share this just as a testimony, not, not a, that's, as, as, a, uh, as an outcry for accolades. Just this week, I was at the grocery store. One night I was on my way to church, and I had stopped to pick up something for church. And I was at the store, and this mom was in front of me with her daughter. This mom was in front of me with her daughter. And she literally had one pack of noodles at Walmart on the conveyor belt at the store with her daughter. Noodles cost about 25 cents. It's probably all she has. She's there, and she's preparing to buy just these noodles. The little girl clothes look a little raggedy. You could tell something wasn't right. And I had to had to pull myself together because the last thing you want to do is pry in somebody else's business. But I asked them, hey, is this all that you have? Not in front of the cashier, but when we were walking out the door, because I, I bought my candy canes and I was walking out the door. And I asked them, I said, is this all that you have? And the mom just began to cry right there in the doorway. She was like, we finna split this. This is all, all that we have. Now, everything in my life ain't straight. But I got more than just a pack of noodles. I couldn't help but to be moved by compassion. And I can understand how my Savior uses that over and over in the text. He was moved by compassion. To see somebody suffering, to see somebody without, to see somebody going through something. And so I said, you know what, let me help you. Let me get you a few things. I want you to understand something. I started getting this young lady groceries. And all that was in my head was $50. That was my limit, $50. But we started walking, praying, talking. Before it was over, we got to the register and spent $150. Now, catch this. It didn't bother me. It's not, it's not the fact that I had the money that it didn't bother me. It's the fact that this is what God had asked me to do. It doesn't matter how much it puts me at a disadvantage. It doesn't matter how much it affects a couple of gifts that my kids want. At the end of the day, this is what God had asked me to do. Somebody needed to see God. If I decided in that moment, in that day, not to be the hands of God, the voice of God, then guess what happens? Somebody goes home hurting broke, and guess what? She would have been at home with that one pack of noodles, splitting it with her daughter, saying, God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't an accident that God had me leave my house that night. It wasn't an accident that God asked me to stop and pick up some, cotton, some, some candy canes that night. Everything was intentional. We got to understand that every time we sacrifice doesn't mean that we're going to be happy about it. But can I tell you something? It may be bitter. It was bitter for me that I had set aside 50, but I ended up giving 150. But that's the responsibility that God has given me. It was bitter of me to wonder, what is my wife going to say when I just bought a family $150 worth of groceries when we trying to make sure we got everything together? At the rejection that I was worried about, it was bitter. It was bitter of me on Christmas Day when I didn't get to get my son or daughter everything that they wanted because of the extra sacrifice that I had already made. It was bitter within me to deal with the regret 
that I could have did more for my kids. But I tell you something that even though we deal with some bitter situations, even though this myrrh was a bitter gum, the truth of the matter, it had a sweeter ending. And what we have to understand is sweet is the reward because of our sacrifice. See, Jesus Christ may not have wanted to be born for our sins, even though he did want to be. But the fact of the matter is he did it anyway. Jesus Christ didn't want to be rejected by his people, but he allowed it to happen anyway. Jesus Christ didn't want to be in a position where he had to regret the decision that he made, but he allowed it to happen anyway. Why? Because sweeter is the reward because of his sacrifice. It's because of Jesus being born, going through, and dying that we can live and give God the praise today. It's because of everything that Christ went through that we can stand and have a day like Christmas and say we are thankful for everything that God has done in our lives. This is the reason for the season. Sweeter is the reward. He's went from being in a position where people didn't believe in him, people wanted to kill him, people wanted to talk about him and put him down, and now he's flipped this thing where now people are worshiping him, they're willing to give up their lives for him. Why? Because he has done it for them. I know that God has a greater blessing waiting on me just because of the seed I sowed into that young lady. You know how I know it? Because he's done it time and time again. He's done it over and over. I, I, I don't have to worry about it. That's what makes my sacrifice a little bit easier. See, when I fix the sacrifice on a smaller level, then when it gets bigger, it's not a big issue. See, some of us fail to sacrifice through tithing. You know why? Because we made a promise to ourselves, God, when you bless me with a better job, I tithe even more. So well, guess what? We make more money, and guess what? We still don't tithe. Why? Because we didn't practice it when we had a little. If you can't give a little, what makes you think you can give a lot? If you, can't give your, if you can't give God yourself when you ain't got everything right, what makes you think you're going to give him yourself when you think you got everything right? We have to get to a point where we begin to make the sacrifices that God is calling for us to make. If you're not willing to make the sacrifice, then guess what? You don't get the reward. There will be bitter moments through the whole process. But at the end of the day, it's guaranteed to get sweeter. It's guaranteed to get better. It may be bitter for a moment, but it'll be better later. Father God, we thank you for everything that you've done, Lord. We thank